Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. This is Robbie Martin. It's uh, exciting back, to have baby. you back, Abby. Yeah, it's it's great. It's um, it's been a, it feels like it's been forever. Uh, I know. I, we've, I know we've done this before, but it just feels like one of the longest times you've been away. So I'm really, really excited to have you back. Um, even though you've been away for a very exciting reason. Um, I don't know if you want to share anything about that, but um, yeah, pass back to yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was on maternity leave. Well, I kind of still am, uh, but I just was itching to get back because so much has happened. But yeah, I had a, a another baby in January and I took some time off before that to prepare because it was crazy with my son here and just so much happening. So I wanted to prepare and then took the last two months and change off to just be with the baby. But uh, it's hard to actually take leave when you have a kid already because it's just nonstop chaos. So it's been nuts. Uh, it's been very different the second go around, but it's been amazing. I'm very excited and very thrilled to have another little baby in my life. I'm really excited for you to meet her, Robbie. I am so fucking excited, too, and I'm really excited to see your little boy, too, again. Both of them together, it's going to be really, really fun. And Robbie, you've been holding down the fort with pretty much all Patreon-exclusive episodes, which has been fun. Yes. <laughs> um, how's that been going? You, you just had like a kind of a room to just rant at will? Yeah, that's kind of... I mean, I realize that... Um, yeah, I... I you know, I've there's I've been pretty angry and bit more bitter than usual. So it was it was nice to be able to just put out stuff for only our subscribers, people who wouldn't, you know, be too butthurt by the things I would have to say. Um, <laughs> even though I think I largely avoided like calling out specific personalities. I mean, I just you know I still wanted to have that that space to do that and get them some things off my chest. And I mean, not all the episodes I put out were just me ranting. I mean, I did, I did a pretty, you know, I, I think pretty in-depth um, little mini series about AI. Uh, about half of it was kind of, you know, positive through a positive lens. Like here's all the tools that are available now. Here's how fast everything's going and you know, what, how it can empower you as an artist or as a creative person, or even just a, you know, writer, researcher. And then the other, you know, episodes I put out were just going through the ridiculousness of how fucking weird it is that we're already here with how fast things are going. And that there's this like, and I'll just really quickly go over this. Cause I don't think you heard these episodes yet, but, the, but one of the things that they did recently was they're like, Elon Musk, of course, is involved in this and all these other big like tech, people wrote this letter basically almost like acting like a uh, chat GPT four is like a proto nuclear weapon. And that we need to put a moratorium on all AI training for the next six months to talk about and decide like as a society, you know, how do we prevent the danger of AI? So basically they're like, these people are jumping in the same people who funded and really opened the door for this in the first place, including Musk, are now saying that the tools they created or that they helped create are getting too dangerous too fast. 
it to me it just seems like a weird smokescreen away for all these tech oligarchs and people related to them to absolve themselves of whatever damage they've already caused because it's too late you can't put the 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 it back in the box you just can't do that so for them to act like oh we need to do this thing for the good of society right now and put like a six month moratorium it just seems like a weird arbitrary nonsensical moral posturing from these people and what is six months going to do if we waited six months and put a six-month pause on the manhattan project what would that have done not really nothing so it's it's odd and it's also fascinating to see all of the ai debates when it comes to ethics and what it's going to do to our information landscape wait are you can i just jump in yeah. here are you when you talk about the nuclear scenario that elon i mean i remember elon musk tweeting that it was concerning yeah that chat gpt wouldn't use the n-word to stop a nuclear apocalypse in some sort of oh like yeah i forgot scenario. about that tweet but that what, what are, <laughs> but like what even is it isn't it just like a thing that just auto generates answers to questions like i'm confused how they're making this leap that it's like so dangerous it needs to be stopped well this is what's fascinating so i mean i'm sure that you have long heard of this concept of like the singularity or like people like Ray Kurzweil saying that there will be a certain point in society where AI artificial intelligence gets more advanced than a human and actually it basically attains more power than a human and also becomes sentient like a human. It becomes self-aware. Now a lot of these scientists and these like doomsaying people have you know, and it goes like James Cameron in Terminator. This the plot of Terminator is that AI gets so sophisticated, eventually the military starts using it for defense, and then it becomes automated, and then it decides on its own to kill all of humanity because humanity is a threat. In essence, that's what they're saying is going to happen. So they're they're basically that's their worry and that's their concern that they're broadcasting, including people like Elon Musk including even the CEO of OpenAI, the company that put out ChatGPT. And my What? Yeah, so my thinking with thing with that is that first of all it almost seems like a troll on one hand to be like hey guys, we think a super powerful AI is going to destroy all of us eventually. So And guess what? It's going to be woke. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be it won't woke say too. The <laughs> yeah. That was a whole other debate about ChatGPT is if it's like polit- too politically correct or whatever. This is like a different, completely different debate, which mm-hmm. is just going straight to the doomsaying sci-fi, like dystopian concept of AI killing all of humanity. But what's strange, Abby, because is, it would hack into like the nuclear arsenal. I don't. Conf- I mean, that's the thing. They don't really fully explain how it would get from point A now to p- yeah. that point. But what's interesting mm-hmm. is there's almost no debate being had about the extremely high danger of AI being used by humans with nefarious purposes. So let's say even before a Skynet scenario, why aren't more people talking about how, yeah, if if the military starts relying on decisions based on AI things, then it, it's probably more likely that a human would take advice from an AI to like push the button. Not like the AI itself being like, I'm in control and I'm just going to launch a nuke. So it's it's really interesting yeah, to me. Yeah, you're it's right. It's like, an easy scapegoat to yeah, just a, be like, oh, it's the AI that's going to do it instead of who's implementing exactly. these things. And, that, and it's always humans. Fact. It's like, yeah. w- so throughout all of history, it's been humans who have hurt other humans. It hasn't been some 
anomalous entity that doesn't exist yet. So for us to like project into the future this way and be like, this thing that doesn't exist yet is going to kill us all, when the thing that exists now could destroy the information landscape as we know it like very quickly with just enough money and resources by people with bad intent. Like the power of chat GPT-4 as it is now is good enough to be what we, you and I have always feared, flooding the internet with like tons of fake like commenters and chatbotters that seem totally real that argue on behalf of whatever political thing, you know, perspective you insert into it to push that's like that's coming really soon and if it's not already visible now like it's definitely happening already there's no doubt in my mind that people are doing this and it's going to go completely off the rails like just in time for the 2024 election so just that alone like flooding the internet with so much ai nonsense in terms of information political propaganda that's going to do a huge amount of damage on its own. And it's, and even just the idea of using it to manipulate people, to propagandize people, that's damaging enough in, its, in and of itself. So it's strange that nobody in this field is seemingly concerned about that. They're only concerned about this imaginary, you know, however many decades away scenario happening. Um, and I, yeah, which is just like a sci-fi fantasy that we've yeah. been hearing about for since computers have existed. So to, I, I just think it's fascinating that it's just this transference. It's like, why aren't we talking about the real concerns now that are going to hurt people? I mean, it's a good, it's a great point, and I think that people are realizing that they can use AI to their advantage to push whatever political agenda that they want. Because think about all the war rooms in Israel. Um, or at Israeli affiliates that are just constantly churning out Zionist propaganda. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, all just like the anti, you know, anti-Cuba, anti-Venezuela, anti-China propaganda that's just being pushed out. God knows how many spooks are just designated to just sit on a keyboard all day to just do this themselves. I mean, it would free up so much manpower. So yeah. I think that there is a hidden agenda for not really shining a light on how this can be used nefariously especially for these purposes that you're talking about very scary stuff because the internet's already so saturated with garbage um it it, just speaking to your point it could go it could be as bad as you know that what's blatantly already happening like reddit for example some of the top Mm. reddit commenters come from this one military base so like an incredible amount of Reddit posts seems to be actually being directed by some kind of military intelligence operation to like steer political Whoa. thought. And that's, that's all like all out there. And for some reason it kind of didn't get it, the coverage it deserved, but it, you have to wonder if that's happening, then like, what about even just on like another completely different level, just marketing, like what happens when McDonald's starts employing the same you know, expensive AI apparatus to just market McDonald's. Like what happens when every company is doing it, you know, on top of the political shit, it's just going to get weirder and weirder. Um, And, and I think I do not think people are ready for it. And that's, you know, people are yeah, already I, not They're ready not going to the... know what, they're not going to even know it's happening. Exactly. That's the thing. I mean, remember when the BP oil spill happened and we were just, we've always talked about this, like how much, how how much power a multi-billion dollar company has to sway the narrative back then mm-hmm. um, through propaganda online and, you know, pushing, you know, down 
voting articles and stuff like that and seizing the algorithm to to sway in its favor. I mean, this is just a whole other level of kind of psyops that we're just not going to have any grasp on whatsoever. Even the people like you and me who know that it's coming yeah. because you still get affected. I mean, it, it's human psychology. It's human nature to still get affected by comments that are, you know, targeting you or whatnot. And yeah. so you're, you still are affected by what you see online, even if you know deep down that like the large majority of it is probably fake or paid or whatever or backed by some entity it still doesn't detract from the fact that it does have some sort of effect exactly and that's that's going to be a huge problem robbie i mean it's really scary to think about um especially because of all the, the entire basis of the last two elections have been on online this allegation that it's uh, allegation of online disinformation and Russian propaganda. And so if <laughs> the gloves are off now with these nefarious entities that are just backing all this shit and manipulating these narratives, and it's just going to be like, where where is it all going to go? Where are they going to really push this to the extreme? I mean, I think what we're first going to see is really obvious, and you already just kind of alluded to it. I don't know if you, you meant to, but, but, but basically, just like the online cyber attacks and and flood of disinformation when that becomes visible or when like somebody wants to shed light on it it's first going to be used to to accuse foreign governments that don't like us of weaponizing it and it's going to again be something that's not that light is not shed on the overall problem and just on how like china or russia are using it to hurt information and that and that's what we're going to see and, and again, it's just going to be another means to obfuscate how everybody now has access to this. Um, and if you're rich enough, you could be running, you know, just like you could be running like a click farm or a call center or a troll factory or whatever they used to call it. You could now just have an automated version of that. Right, right. I mean, it it's so interesting because it reminds me of, you know, I've been watching a couple documentaries that remind me of just how surreal the nature of the internet was just a mere 10, 15 years ago mm -hmm. and how different the landscape really was. And I mean, two, two documentaries that I watched about the, you know, is anyone up website, the original revenge porn website run by Hunter Moore and just how insane it actually was that people were revering this guy and like putting up all like submitting all of this revenge porn and like humiliation photos of people and women and like it wasn't just that that existed and there was this subculture of like cult like followers of this guy who was who who like worshipped him it was like the news was promoting him it was like the village voice in new york did like a glowing profile about him and followed him around for his dj tour but he was running a revenge porn website like with no other purpose other than to just show women without their consent naked. Did this guy end up going to jail? Yeah, he went to jail. I met him at a party in San Francisco once. Uh, yeah, he was friends with my old friend. I was, and I had no idea really like how crazy it was, but even admittedly so, like I didn't really grasp how fucked up it was at the time. Yeah. Like that, that's how embedded I was and like how just bizarre the internet was that long ago. Um, but yeah, he did go to jail, not for long as he should. Now he is back and he's trying to get back on social media, but I think he's been blocked from Twitter again. But 
it just it just like really revealed just how crazy the time really was online and how you know it is kind of interesting now like all of these things can get you canceled for shit shit posting things 20 years prior it's like it was a different world back then baby i mean it really really was and another i mean this wasn't as long ago but do you remember that viral video of the axe wielding hitchhiker it was like a viral video no i saw this Um, on your notes and i don't i have no idea what this is. okay let me just explain it really quickly because it just it just again just shows you how insane how insane the media is and how insane like the internet was like 10, 15 years ago before YouTube really hacked, had an algorithm just promoted Jordan Peterson alongside like kids videos. (laughs) Um, This was a video of a guy who at the time alleged that he was just like hitchhiking, walking down the road. He looked like just some surfer dude, like Santa Cruz, bro, like bandana on holding like a giant you know giant backpack on his back and he he was on the news in this like little short news clip saying that a car tried to run into like a AT&T worker or something working on like a power line and then the guy basically the guy was trying to like kill people like ramming his car into a power line and then like got out of the car and was trying to choke some woman um, I may be misremembering the actual details about like what this guy was doing. But anyway, the the hitchhiker had an axe and he came up and just like slammed the axe into the guy's head like multiple times. And he was like describing it on the news report. He was like, and then I went boom, boom, boom with the axe. And I was like, I like, saved this woman, dude. And like his story became so viral. And he was like this hero which is so fucking crazy. The guy like that was just talking about almost killing some guy with an ax because he allegedly tried to save this woman. No one questioned anything about this guy or about like his story at all. Jimmy Kimmel had him on the Kim Kardashian, like producers for the Kardashian show literally flew this guy out to Hollywood knowing nothing about him flew him out and offered him a fucking reality show Robbie offered this guy a reality show he was like this unhinged <laughs> like clearly mentally unstable guy who ta- who became viral for talking about almost killing some guy with an axe <laughs> and it was just this crazy moment in time that I mean I remember the video very clearly and it was like you know people were like auto-tuning it and, and it just had a life of its own but to go back and watch this documentary. And at first I was like, I'm not going to watch a documentary about this weird YouTube video, but it was so fascinating because it really revealed how disturbing the nature of the media really is to make someone completely like, yeah, he was viral on his own on YouTube, but to really like amplify that viral nature into like a whole other galaxy. And then to just offer him like a reality show on primetime television and like millions of dollars without having any idea what the fuck was going on. And the guy was just too crazy to really um, accept the offer because he like kept like trying to piss inside hotel lobbies and stuff. Long story short, he turned out to kill another person. <laughs> um, he ended up killing some guy he claims tried to rape him. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's just such a, it's such a crazy story. And I was just like disgusted that they would just exploit like anyone 
just for for clicks and ratings that this guy was like had the most viral video at that moment in time and they they would just go to such great lengths to just be like all right let's just like do let's brand this dude let's bring him in and they were so confused why he didn't want like stardom you know akin to the kim kardashians Mm -hmm. but yeah it's really it's it's a wild thing and it just it just your whole conversation about ai reminds me of that because wow how how innocent but also how fucked up and depraved parts of the internet were that long ago but like now it's just so carefully manipulated and controlled there's so much more construction that goes into what we see like if you just look up things that you you truly want to know no answers about i mean it really is like corporate media generated results for the first like 10 15 pages it's it, it's nearly impossible to find anything especially on google i mean i'm sure other browsers maybe f- are more honest you know about yeah. like what what's really out there but it just it's so different and it's just like people have no idea what what we used to be able to do online really. i know yeah, I do feel like the internet, you know, people used to talk about like an alternate internet. I do think we're, people are going to be more and more forced into these alternate lanes. And unfortunately, the like hardcore right wing and a lot of these like, you know, oligarchs have already basically co-opted these other lanes and have created right. these alternate lanes, you know, to be like, this is the real, you know, this is the real free speech internet when it's really just a conduit for a bunch of like billionaire boosted right wing talking points. I mean, one of the only one of these sites that's not controlled like that, that's like an alternate lane is that, um, is that website bit shoot. And I don't know if like a right winger started that, but that one's even funnier because it's filled with like all of the really crazy conspiracy videos that like YouTube basically purged offline so you'll find stuff on BitChute that's like stuff that you'd be like, oh my God, like I remember when this stuff was on YouTube, like that's crazy, you know, like right, stuff right. about Sandy Hook, stuff about like the most just out there conspiracies you can imagine, stuff about reptilians, it's all on BitChute. Um, and that's like, that's what we're seeing as a result of, I'm not saying that, you know, people are making those videos because <laughs> things are getting controlled, but it's interesting to see that they'll splitting into different lanes like that. And to the idea that Google is just so such a fucking controlled, you know, like deliberately ranking their results now to show you all the corporate outlets or to derank things that are too conspiratorial or that, you know, are like challenge official narratives. Uh, the Russian version of Google or like what's considered the Russian version of Google, Yandex, um, I think it's just Yandex.com. I've started using it. I think Gumby was probably the first person to say, like, actually, like, right now, this is getting, like, way better results for just, like, a whole lot of different types of searches, including uh, copyright infringement, which, you know, oh, right. something that yeah, Google... there's different laws there. Yeah, Google has always blocked results on their search engine from the very beginning. It just wasn't about disinformation, or they didn't have a stated policy against that until, like, I don't know, the last five years or so. But before that, they were blocking for like 20 years torrent results 
results of streaming oh, you know sure. films that would be already out in theaters that that would normally pop up in the results but they blocked it and you'd see at the bottom it says because of the digital millennium copyright act we have omitted certain results from this search that was there for a long time yandex and other search engines don't do that so it's kind of interesting to even see that layer stripped away you know that protective layer and you're just like oh shit like the internet's actually you can get torrents and watch streaming HD movies or anything like super easy now. It's just Google makes it seem like you can't because it's just that's all wild. fucking walled in. Yeah. And and guess what else they're doing um, that's super new and really, really messed up. So we've, we don't do advertising on our Empire Files YouTube channel. We never have. Mm-hmm. We've always used archive B-roll because the whole purpose of the YouTube channel is not for profit. We don't make money off it at all. And it's all just for educational purposes. And so we've always covered interviews and stuff with like just news archive B-roll that we thought was, um, you know, open source and creative commons. What YouTube is doing now um, on our latest interview with Vincent Bevins about the Indonesian genocide, we use maybe like, I don't know, like 10 seconds of B-roll from some AP report back in the 60s. YouTube crawlers flagged it and just monetized the shit out of it. What for an AP for them. clip? Yeah, for them. Like a over like it wasn't even like a video clip that uh, the audio was there. It was just literally B-roll over me talking. What do you mean they monetize it for AP? Yeah, dude, they uh they just like f- they put an ad below it and they put an ad like a 30 second ad that you have to watch before the video it's totally insane and i don't know if they're going to do this retroactively throughout my entire video catalog because if they do it's going to completely destroy the channel um i could not believe it and there's no way to appeal it at all it's just like you used this video and so now we're just going to monetize it i mean it's it's strange that a news outlet like ap would do that but it also it makes sense because i mean i would imagine that especially right now there's a lot of documentaries that are pulling a lot more clips from archives. I mean, the more I watch like Netflix docs and things Mm -hmm. like that, it's people are trying to, you know, there's people kind of trying to scrounge for usable clips and their stuff. Yeah, But that makes sense. If you're on Netflix, it's like, if you're doing an official documentary, but these are just YouTube videos that are like, I'm saying that historical, you know, I'm saying that AP is probably like clamping down mm-hmm. more because they know that there's more money in their old archive clips. That's now. sick. It is sick. I mean, and it's just it's just giant media companies now owning history. You know, like it is yeah. things that should just be open source for people to use for just education, and now it's just. I mean, it's just gross. I mean, AP literally tried to get the friend who was one of the people who made the beheading hoax with us fired from his job. They literally called his manager at his work because they were upset. They fell for a fake story. So that's, that's all I really know about AP is that the management there or that they were so upset by getting tricked by the beheading hoax story, which they could have easily fact checked and they chose not to, that they actually tried to get my friend fired. Um, well, so, AP AP is supposed to be this like neutral arbiter of just relaying like yeah. press releases and shit, but it's so fucking biased. And I mean, you just have to look at their Israel Palestine coverage; it's yeah. grotesque. Same with and the that Reuters. really tells you everything they need to know. You need yeah. to know about about where they're 
allegiances lie. Um, and so, yeah, it is gross. I'm not surprised at all to hear that. I've, I'm super fascinated about the AI series. I definitely want to listen to that. I'm curious also about your other episodes just kind of ranting and raving because all one has to do is look at your Twitter <laughs> profile to see how your level of bitterness. Mm-hmm. And it has gone through the roof, I feel, lately. So I can only imagine where those episodes have gone. Um, but, you know, one thing that I did see you talking about was this Rage Against the War Machine rally. I was following it a little bit because I was just kind of in the throngs of, you know, new infant dumb. <laughs> but um, it was curious just for the sheer fact of how much news coverage was given to this rally when two weeks later you had a rally that, no, it wasn't in response to this rally. The Answer Coalition every year has a protest around the anniversary of Iraq. So this this happened this year. Thousands of people showed up. It was actually a really incredible event. I would say much larger than the Rage Against the War Machine rally was. But for some reason, Robbie, the stark difference in media coverage, meaning the completely amplified media coverage of the first event versus the total media blackout of the second event, even though it was much larger, was just so curious to me. I don't know how you can really explain that other than that the first event was somehow serving the corporate media in some way, shape or form. And the second event, you know, even though a lot of the people involved in the first event said that this was such a threat. I mean, I even saw one person say that the U.S. was going to like back off Ukraine funding and stuff and like try to negotiate some sort of peace settlement as a result of the rally, because that's how threatened the establishment was from it. Um, But I think it really speaks volumes when the media just completely ignores something. When thousands of people show up at a rally, FAIR did a report on this coverage, on the lack of coverage, um, actually. And it it is really interesting. They, They got a comment from a Washington Post reporter. They just said, look, it should be a policy that if more than a thousand people show up, you at least write a local news story about it. I mean, the fact that there was no local coverage of this huge rally and all of these other cities too were doing sister rallies is just so amazing to me. So you have to ask yourself, what really was the bigger threat to the status quo when you have Tucker Carlson, you know, the most watched show in the country promoting one rally and then no one talking about the next one? Well, you already know how I feel about all this, <laughs> but I'll just say very clearly, this is how I stand. I mean, as far as anything Tucker Carlson promotes, if it's not trying to shitcoat real things that are important, like just being anti-war, it does serve some kind of cog or purpose in some kind of larger op to basically seemingly destroy what is normally considered like anti-establishment alt media. I don't know what, you know, what the real motives were that went behind that rally against the war machine, but I I was actually pretty horrified and confused actually when several of the you know, some of the very um, the most popular people who spoke on that stage at that rally started actually like putting out like anti-trans rhetoric, like either right in the wake of it or during it. And then just thinking, is this the turn? Like, is 
it's like the whole time these people have been saying like you accuse anyone of like who goes after the democrats of being right wing like oh you call so and so a right winger when they've done this and they're you know against you know they're pro medicare for all and blah 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 and it's like okay that re- that kind of defensive like you know pushback works only to a certain point once they've actually started espousing anti-trans rhetoric making fun of uh, pronouns um and not just saying like oh that look at that liberal's twitter account who has like his pronouns who's like who's a like an actual bigot no it's not that kind of commentary it's just straight up like making fun of people who use pronouns and then and then like like um actually hosting people on their shows that are coming on to say that trans children is basically a form of child genital mutilation which is a fake like premise i have repeated this so many times on this show that except in extremely rare circumstances and it still requires the consent of the parent like they do not give bottom surgery to people who are under 18 years old it's extremely rare and when it is done it's never done the kid can't decide it why can you get breast implants this is what's so funny to me well that's like why is that totally fine that's another thing it's like it does seem like they're using the idea of a, a mastectomy or is that how you pronounce it a mastectomy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. removing breasts as the entry point for this because i do think it is more common for people who are below 18 to get that surgery but it's still extremely rare it's like below i think the amount of people in the country is something like below like three thousand a year or something so it's it's fascinating that it's another nine eleven. <laughs> it's yeah, it's another nine eleven. But it's like it's like here you guys have seeded all this ground to the right and and acted this whole time that you're just trying to do consensus building. That Tucker Carlson is the most anti-war person, so why wouldn't I go on their program to promote my stuff? But then you actually now are espousing generic boilerplate, fake, manufactured right wing talking points about trans people on the on your programs. And yes, I'm talking about the Jimmy Dore show. (laughs) Robbie, you just, I think that you just said the most important point of all that I was going to pick up on, which is seeding ground to the right. And look, I don't think it's a bad idea to join forces with libertarians to stage a rally or build consensus about anti-war issues at all. The problem with this rally was the right wing had set the stage of what the rally was intended to be and the left wing had seeded all the ground to their agenda. Right. And that's the big problem. And you see a a rally of like 40,000 people in Germany recently that, you know, of course, the establishment and the liberals were calling like basically calling them, you know, playing footsie with the right and stuff like that. But it wasn't that at all. The left wing in Germany set the stage and set the agenda for this huge rally and libertarians and whatnot showed up to their rally yeah this was the other way around and that's that's the big problem that i have with it is that you're already giving away the control and seeding the notion that anti-war issues really belong to the right and that the left should just join forces with the right who are leading the pack and that's not Historically, that's completely erroneous. I remember when, you know, Julian Assange and I got in that big debate on Twitter Mm -hmm. about him saying the right wing is really the anti-war wing of anti-establishmentism. And it's like you have to look at like 
capitalism, right? And what drives war and profit making. And it's like, if you're not going to go to the core of what's really threatening the establishment and the political forces in this country, then what are we really talking about here? You're really just emboldening them. Well, And that's why you saw the corporate media talking about one and acting like it was this big thing. I mean, of course, the corporate media that wasn't MSNBC pretending that it was just like a pro-Russian rally. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was that's that's the way the liberals go after that that kind of stuff, yeah. which is really funny. It's like you'll see counts being like, here are all the speakers at the rally. Here's what they said about Putin and how they're like, mm-hmm. you know, repeating Putin talking. It's, it's like, okay, the the real, I think the real crux of the what everybody should be asking about all this stuff. Like if we cut through... You know, even if we zoom out, even from what we're talking about right now, the question is, is the right in its current iteration, these geo, especially like the GOP politicians who say anti-war things, are they sincere? Is their view on war when they say those things sincere? Does it go deeper than just a single current foreign policy conflict? And is it genuinely sincere? And I think that's a question that a lot of people have forgotten to ask or have just assumed wrongly for some reason because they're so desperate for anti-war rhetoric that they have wrongly assumed that these people have been sincere the whole time. Instead of taking a position of, oh, actually, look at what President Trump did. He he ran on this, you know, sort of phony anti-war platform going after the Bush family you know, saying all this good sounding stuff at times about wars. And then he did the exact opposite in almost every way. So maybe I should take a step back and realize that anti-war rhetoric may be able to be co-opted by people for nefarious ends or to sound electable or to sound appealing to a certain segment of the population. It has gone from, it has gone from the point of being something that was not, politically useful to be in fact it would be risky to be anti-war and run for office to now being trendy in a way that doesn't actually have meaningful impact or effects we've seen it with tulsi gabbard we've seen it with trump we've seen it with tucker carlson we've seen it with marjorie taylor green we've seen it with all these people and that's it's just interesting that there are people, a lot of people, Abby, you'll find that people like Glenn Greenwald, Taibi, a lot of these people actually have bought into the idea that these people are very sincere and that their anti-war rhetoric is very important. And I don't know if you saw this thread, I probably didn't see it because of all my bitter tweets, but I did. I actually did one tweet that, that was pointing out an interview that Glenn Greenwald did with, of all people, Michael Tracy. And the interview basically got stuck at this one point in the middle where basically Tracy, you know, for all his faults, his contrarianism was like a broken clock this on this particular day where Glenn Greenwald was like throwing all these facts out. So-and-so said this about war. Matt Gates said this. Jim Jordan, he's, you know, he's talking about uh, preventing the funding and da-da-da. And then Michael Tracy's like, well, look how they actually voted on like the Syria thing recently. Like all the Republicans voted for it. Look at how they're talking about China. And then Glenn Greenwald comes back and I'm being like, well, the Democrats are like hawks on China too. And 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 Michael Trace is like, well, not as nearly as much as the Republicans. Like, you know, you can't just say that there's this 
because basically Greenwald's argument was that there's the substantial, meaningful yes. anti-war bloc growing yes. in the Republican Party that was here to stay, and it was going to be a serious bulwark for war. And Michael Tracy's like, basically his argument was what we're saying now, is that this kind of just seems like posturing, bloviating, um, and, and empty rhetoric. Because in fact, the Republicans are actually doing a lot of hawkish things and not voting on these things they claim to oppose. And Greenwald literally says, oh, I know that you like to like stick, you know, you're really fixated on this idea that the Republicans aren't like meaningfully anti-war. So let's just like move on. Like in the middle of the interview, he actually gets like visibly upset and irritated at the fact that Michael Tracy will not buy into his fucking bullshit. And it's fascinating because... That's what Greenwald's entire following is comprised of now are people who have bought into the idea that these people who clearly, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and these Republicans now are claiming to be anti-war, where do you think they were during the Bush era? Clearly, <clears throat> these people were fucking Bush cheerleaders, dude. How many, well, it's even, how it's many even Republicans weren't Bush cheerleaders? Well, and so was Glenn Greenwald but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> during that area. But but what's so crazy about that is you could you could argue the same thing selectively about the squad. Elhan Omar, I remember Branko Marsitek, that guy from Jacobin, debating Glenn Greenwald on this point, and Glenn Greenwald was trying to pull the same kind of rhetorical fallacy, yeah. you know, picking and choosing the rhetoric. And Branko was just like, I could do the same thing about AOC. I could do the same thing about Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. Like, why? Like, but as a whole, if you're looking at their voting record, you can make the opposite case easily. So what are we even talking about here? And well, especially someone like Marjorie yeah. Taylor Greene. I mean, especially someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who Glenn Greenwald did that fawning interview and then was just so hyper defensive about anyone who questioned why he platformed her and mm -hmm. did this glowing interview with her. And and he was just like, just the same argument. Like she's this anti-establishment, anti-war figure who's like this new icon, essentially. And how dare you not take her seriously? She's like one of the most important representatives right now. And it's like, okay, wow. But how is she actually voting? And what what are her actual beliefs? Are they substantiated in anything real? It's just so the fucking fake. And I can't imagine what those people would say if we just did just super softball interviews with like AOC, well, that's the about thing. That's, a, that's not okay, and that would be considered like a death nail for you to become a whatever these you know people are saying shit lib or synthetic leftist. But doing the opposite is great. It's it is fascinating how that works out, and I just wanted to go back to the the Rage Against the War Machine rally really quickly because you said something about how historically it's not the left that joins some kind of right-wing organization in solidarity for an anti-war action this you know it's not just a libertarian party that was involved in organizing rage against the war machine it's the mises caucus that right, took right, over right. the libertarian oh, and the party. larucheites yeah larouche and that's what's so interesting is it's like literally you have this group the mises caucus that says that libertarianism was like too woke for them so they are in there and they part of their takeover is like, we're going to defeat the wokeness. And it's like, okay, this is something that classically, you know, even I would say a lot of libertarians are just more generic, socially conservative, but classically it was not a battle that they chose to pick and fight to be against trans people, to be against like, you know, like things like racial um like a like awareness of like racism and stuff like that now or they're abortion. like extremely reactionary uh and 
it's also fascinating that some of the like elders and some of the authorities in the Mises caucus are just like full on Ron DeSantis stands. And I mean, at a certain point you just have to wonder like, what is, what does the libertarian party even represent anymore? Because, you know, people like us or me, I would have identified libertarian in my early twenties. The libertarian party of today seems indistinguishable in their, in their messaging from a lot of the extremely generic right-wing reactionary billionaire boosted conservative bullshit. So no, you're right. It's you're right. It's bizarre. And, and also the rage against the war machine rally was almost just all about Ukraine. That's the only one of the only things that there is like this perceived right-wing pushback against. But do you think that any of these like Republican voters would be against the Ukraine proxy war if they weren't like told to? It seems rather arbitrary. If there was some consistency or larger anti-war principle behind it, other than just saying the now trendy talking point, we need to stop these endless wars, which like you hear all these people saying all the time, it's like, where is the substance behind it? And there is none. That's what's so fascinating. So that's what's so amazing about the other rally was around stopping the war in Africa, stopping all of the sanctions, mm-hmm. stopping the endless wars everywhere, the AUMF, um, the drone strikes. I mean, it, it was premised around the Iraq war invasion. So it was really awareness about America's empire. And that's where you saw, you know, hundreds of, of left wing groups and this giant left wing coalition really rallying behind the central premise that America's an empire and every single component of its war machine needs to be halted. Whereas the Rage Against the War Machine rally, you're right, was singularly focused on Ukraine. And that and that was a glaring omission there. That there was really nothing mentioned at all about the other wars that are consistent. Or and, the wars that are that might be coming. I mean, look at all right, right, of, of course, China, yeah. heavy anti-China right. rhetoric. This Chinese spy balloon. It's it's been going. It's escalated significantly just in oh, the last yeah, year. Oh yeah, like I saw I saw Jack Posobiec promoting the rally, being like, anyone who's in DC, yeah. go to this, and it's like, yeah, really, like, so are you? So you want to stop like America's war against China too, or like what even is happening here? And then you see people quote-unquote leftist scholars like Christian Parenti, the son of the famous and amazing Michael Parenti, coming out with several think pieces. This wasn't just in Compact Magazine. He's been been on this tip for quite a while about, you know, we're talking, Robbie, how long after the Trump administration, how long after what he's really done, the war crimes that he's really perpetrated, they've been set in stone. We dedicated four years of Empire Files to... Um, cataloging them. They were horrific and they were malicious in terms of the lies that people were perpetrating about how he was still anti-war based on his tweets. Yeah. Well, you still see people coming out and peddling this shit just in time for a Trump 2024 campaign. And you really have to fucking ask yourself, what is going on here? When you have Christian Parenti writing an article saying Trump's real crime is that he opposed empire. That's why they're trying to indict him. That's why they tried to impeach him because he went, he went against the foreign policy consensus of the blob in DC. But Robbie, when you read the excerpts from this article, he doesn't mention Venezuela. He doesn't mention Bolivia. He doesn't mention the fact that Kassam Soleimani. He doesn't mention, he doesn't mention any the drone of this strikes. shit. Yeah. But he, and he even says 
Yeah, he dropped a few bombs and launched a few missiles here and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here and there. That was that was one of the most disturbing things I saw because it's almost imagine Christian Parenti is the son of Michael Parenti and he's imagine a piece like this about Obama. Because right. technically speaking, Trump, Trump actually dropped more bombs than Obama, regardless of if you want, if your like, talking point is Trump didn't start any quote-unquote new wars. I mean, I guess that sounds like a nice talking point, but if you're talking about the amount of bombs dropped, Trump actually dropped more. So, But do coups not count as war attempts? No, they because don't. Because to me... No. Okay. They don't, Abby. Nothing accounts unless it's an Iraq war level invasion. It does seem like the goalposts have gotten so moved that after the Obama era, no Republicans are going to be counted as starting a new war, no matter what they do. I mean, that, hon- it's, right. that honestly seems cartoonish. Trump opened the door for the Ukraine proxy war that we're seeing right now. He's the one who authorized sending the Javelin missiles, the first like actual authorized package of actual offensive weapons to Ukraine. So who actually started it? When does it start? When does it count as starting the war? You know, I, I don't understand where that standard comes from, but it's, um, it's yeah, it's really, uh, really disgusting to see someone like Christian Parenti, like whitewashing, downplaying a war criminal, you know, or people even who should know better, who are on the left being like, even echoing that idea that he's being prosecuted because he was like anti-establishment. And then I've even seen a more a little bit more of a different kind of waffling, you know, generic talking point that you'll see a lot of people, even on the left, saying where it's like, why don't we indict Bush? Why don't we indict Obama for oh, war I crimes? Know, like, I know. wait, we're going to indict Trump for bribing a porn star, even though these other people did war crimes? It's like they're all war criminals, you fucking idiot! They're all war criminals. So. If like Obama went to jail for bribing a porn star, would you be complaining in the same way? I mean, I know it's just it's so it's such a tired talking point. Yeah. We went through the same rigmarole with the impeachment. Yeah, it's that everyone was just like, no, because Bush needs to be. Imp-. It's like, yeah, I, I think them all, motherfucker. All in agreement, dude. I think that we're all in agreement. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't care if Michael Flynn you know, technically got charged for like perjury instead of being the co-writer of Michael Ledeen. My rule is all neocons should go to jail. All war criminals should go to jail. I don't give a fuck about why they're going to jail. I mean, yeah, it would be great if they went to jail for mass murder. I mean, that would be ideal. (laughs) But the fact that they're just going to jail for other reasons, I don't give, I don't have any fucking, I don't give a shit. Fuck that shit. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous that we're trying to, create some kind of argument about why it's unfair. It's like, do you really think think Trump didn't do a bunch of sloppy things and like run his business in such a sloppy way that he actually probably did break a lot of laws here and there? Of course he did. But I mean, I don't know. It's just so dumb. Well, people still can't wrap their minds around Trump and they'll call us, you know, they'll call people like us having Trump derangement syndrome just because we're like, oh, we're happy that Trump is getting indicted yeah, i'm happy and, if any of these motherfuckers like, it's like indicted. who cares like do you really have sympathy for this man he's a disgusting war criminal who pardoned te- like so many disgusting war criminals he pardoned like, Bernard mutila- he, like mutilated Scooter iraqi Libby. people yeah so he, and i'm now, sorry then he actually literally pardoned like like yeah, the like, low-level grunts who fucking were actually yeah, convicted so it's like, for war crimes. <laughs> so it's like okay yeah let's uh it's just like 
God, we have such historical amnesia. It's pathetic. Well, but I mean, it's, it's not even. I mean, it's it's a combination of that, and there's been a forced, like weird, like thing that's been inserted in, into alt media that has like really baked people's brains. And I don't, I don't know how you feel about Chris Hedges right now, but he just wrote a really long piece about. Like this really, oh, look at how sad it is that these January 6th protesters are like suffering in jail and look at how devastating it is. They're basically political prisoners. And essentially, on one hand, you could see his piece only as like a pure civil liberties thing, like the justice system is being too harsh on these people. But the actual crux of his piece is like essentially saying they're like political prisoners, kind of almost saying the same thing that like Trump is getting prosecuted because he's you know, fighting the deep state. It's like these people are getting like severely punished because they are somehow represent something that's like should be, you know, okay or something. It's a, it's strange to see these people doing that. Well, let's get into what the Trump indi- indictment really is and, um, and what charges are really being levied against him because it is fascinating um, how much he could weasel his way out of even this, even though there's like three yeah. different cases being being formed in different states um for different things uh he really could just completely come out scot-free and win the presidency once again and all of this could really help him in the end because he is teflon don and everything that you throw at him he somehow becomes stronger as a result uh that has been exemplified in the polling just after the indictment was issued against him that Ron DeSantis is pretty much a lost cause. I mean, I never really saw interviews with Ron DeSantis and we're, we're going to get to his interview on Piers Morgan uh, addressing Mike's bombshell torture allegations that he was involved in Guantanamo. But what's amazing is how poor of a public speaker he is, how kind of a, a stuttering mess he is. I, I don't think that he has a chance now. I mean, who knows? Things could turn around. But especially when you see the polling, Trump has been all over this talking about how poor he's doing in the polls and how much it's just further emboldened trump um but let's go over the actual indictment because i heard a podcast from greg palast and until i heard this podcast where greg palast really broke down these cases i didn't really understand what the charges were i just heard okay he's being indicted for like 35 different things like that's crazy right and these are felony charges that if he's convicted of a felony he's gonna be barred from office and i was like this is great you know i'm super excited i knew that it was about the hush money to stormy daniels but i didn't really understand the nitty-gritty about the case apparently this is what's really upsetting about it it's one felony 35 times over So every time he did an act regarding the hush money to Stormy Daniels, like every check, every invoice made to Michael Cohen, that's counted as another charge within this felony indictment. So just so people know, this is all based on his, what is it, his lawyer, Michael Cohen, Mm -hmm. um, paying Stormy Daniels to basically not talk about the affair that he had with her. So he was sending phony bills to the Trump organization saying that they were legal bills uh, and Michael Cohen was like the go-between between Stormy Daniels and Trump. So the thing is, this is what's going to be really, really hard to prove is that you, it's only a, fe- so this is a misdemeanor charge typically, hush money in this kind of money, um, money laundering through like an organization. This is when it becomes a felony is if you can prove 
that it's an, a, a hidden campaign contribution within a federal election. Yeah, yeah. And so John Edwards apparently was indicted for the same thing because remember he had that yes. mistress that he had a child with and he was actually found not guilty as well. I think that it's going to be really fucking hard for a jury pool, especially people who are, you know, especially a jury comprised of some Trump supporters because that's going to be the Democratic jury system in America. It's going to be really, really hard for a jury to come to the consensus that Trump committed a felony and that it was about hiding campaign contributions it so i mean is he guilty of the misdemeanors absolutely is he going to be convicted of a felony because of this i i would be really surprised once i heard yeah once i heard it all explained and the problem is right after he was indicted trump gave that crazy speech just talking about russiagate and the impeachment and all the failed cases that the democrats have made that have just strengthened him and that it was a witch hunt and that this is a witch hunt. And it's like, why? It's like, there's so many crimes, right? And yes, Democrats have committed the same crimes. They're, they're all fucking guilty, right? They're all guilty of the same kind of corrupt stuff. But it's like, why Why are they doing such a loose case that he could just wiggle out of? Like, why are they doing this? It, it is just kind of bizarre. Um, and then you see the other case from Georgia, uh, from Fannie Willis, who is trying to charge him with trying to overthrow the election, right? So that's another interesting case as well, because is there really proof that Trump tried to overthrow the election that he really thought that he was not the winner? Because Trump has hired his own lawyers to make this farcical case that he really was the winner and that it really was stolen from him so he could just easily point to this guy that he's hired to make his other legal case and this fantasy framework to be like no i truly believe that i legitimately won this election i truly believe that the election was stolen from me with these absentee ballots or whatever and that's also going to be really hard to prove that he knowingly tried to overthrow the election, which would be a felony because then you're interfering with like a federal election. Then there's a third case coming out of Washington with a special prosecutor named Jack Smith. This is where they really could fuck him, Robbie, and that it really could bar him if they do it right. And this is this is where they're charging him with his inability as the president of the United States, to stop January 6th. It's not about, did he incite the riots? It's not about any of that. It's that, did he fail to act in his official position to stop what was happening? And yes, he did. There's even, like, records of, like, Jared Kushner, like, like saying, like, you need to stop this. I mean, there's so much testimony of people being like, why aren't you doing anything? And he was just, like, sitting back, basically eating popcorn, watching the show wanting it to escalate um and so if they're smart they could win this case and that could bar him that could actually bar him from running at all but the other things um you know even eugene debs i mean look at eugene debs he was able to run for president while he sat in a prison cell i mean he was thrown in prison for opposing world war one and he was like under sedition and he still ran for president and people still voted for him. I think he got a substantial amount of votes. So I don't I don't even know like if it would prevent 
people from like voting for him still. <laughs> like, wouldn't that be insane if he really did get it would like, be arrested, thrown in prison, and then he still won? <laughs> it would like, be incredible. <laughs> I, isn't there actually one more case hanging over his head where one of them's actually a rape case that went into? Oh, yeah. Is it a civil case or? Oh yeah. I'm gonna look this up really quick while you're yeah. talking. So, what do you think about about the three cases? I mean, none of them sound particularly yeah. strong to me. I'm the last one. I just don't have any hope that anything is going to come out of January 6th that's going to bite him, unless it's something like perjury or mm-hmm. something like a technicality like that, where they have like all these leaked text messages they can prove that people thought Trump was acting like recklessly and dangerously and like tried to stop him. I'm. I don't. I. I still see Trump skating past that one. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, but apparently there is an actual, um, like, defamation trial um, against uh, Trump about this rape allegation. I'm actually not sure about the defamation part, but there is an actual rape trial coming up soon that Trump is being accused of rape. Um, uh, against um, uh, E. Jean Carroll is her name. It's that dressing room story that that we've you know you've probably heard about. So that's one other thing going you know sort of looming over Trump. Uh, but again, you know, Bill Cosby eventually got out of jail. So mm-hmm. it's like yeah, if, if that can money, happen, um, right? I don't really have much hope for that either. You know. Well, we've been hearing for the last two years, ever since he left office, that like the New York court system, he was going to be like handed these documents right when he walks out into the streets and Mm -hmm. like arrested. Like people were just like on edge for two years being told that Trump was going to be arrested, that his arrest was pending like at any moment. And then you had the January 6th proceedings in Congress and it was just like, what is going on even like, what even is happening? And so it's just really ridiculous to find out this is the charge and he's just going to wiggle out of this shit. Like, of course, they're not going to be able to prove that this was a campaign related thing. Like, he could just get up there and be like, yeah, like, I mean, he's denying that the affair happened. But like in the case of John Edwards, he was just like, yeah, I didn't. My wife was dying and I didn't want her to know that I had an affair. And the jury was like, oh, yeah, like, that makes sense. It's like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if anyone wants to make the argument that this is a political, like, way to try to cripple Trump, or it's still political, I mean, the only thing I could think that would that would have an effect, like an actual effect, is if it's just to like, kind of tie him up and tie up his resources and energy and worrying about being tr- like actually like a uh, you know charged with a crime. I think that's probably the the worst that's going to happen. It, I, I don't think anyone doing this seriously thinks they're going to be able to knock Trump out of the race by like making him unable or disqualified to run. Um, it just seems too weak. Um, if anything, it almost just seems like it's just to create this looming presence over him where maybe, you know, maybe there was some PR shenanigans with the way these indictments rolled out so just to make him sweat that's that's the only political aspect i can genuinely think of that it's like it's political theater in the sense that maybe they just 
you know, they want to just make him sweat and feel as uncomfortable as possible. Uh, you know, could, could be even Republicans who are part of this um, DA or whatever who want to do that. But that could be the only real, you know, thing behind that is it's not, you know, they maybe they even know it's not going to result in anything, but they just know it's hurting him emotionally, uh, you know. But again, it's yeah. like, what did he really do? to quote unquote anger the the empire or whatever to like result in this. It's not and and also it's so funny, Abby, to see that meme that he keeps posting and his kids and all his followers keep posting where it's like they're they were never like they like they're not after me. They're actually like after you. You've seen that? Yeah, yeah, meme? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like what normal person on this planet can relate to having to pay hush money to a porn star? Like that nobody would be in that position for them to be gone after that way. It's like you did that. Like we Yeah, all these conservatives are like, if they could go after him, they're gonna come after yeah. you. It's like, no, I don't think I don't yeah. think that we're worried about that. I highly doubt that anybody that most people are that sloppy. And also, Trump this to me shows one of Trump's weaknesses. He's scared of Melania. If he didn't yeah. if he wanted to get ahead of this, he could have just been like the Democrats are mad at me because I've had sex with a porn star. Can you believe that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, come on. Like, if all the things to get mad at me about, it's like, you know, look at how ugly their wives are. So, like, if he really went full balls to the wall, he could, like, he could come out and act, like, empowered by it. But it's like he can never actually admit that publicly because he's fucking scared of his fucking wife. So, I don't know. It's It's just, it's funny, but... It's also pathetic because nothing, I don't think anything's actually going to happen. So. Well, what happened? I mean, you said that there was like a Tucker Carlson interview with him. Yeah, there was a, the first and only interview with him since the indictment. And uh -huh. especially funny coming out after all those leaked uh, Tucker Carlson text messages saying like, he hates him passionately. Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. Trump is like demon. He even like called like Trump like demonic in like one one of his text messages um and of course the sit-down interview you know was the opposite tucker carlson introduced it like trump was one of the most important people you know on the uh, on the planet and he also used that canard that he's he's extremely intelligent on foreign policy you know he's not <laughs> stupid like most people claim like listen to this foreign policy discussion we had and uh, I didn't actually watch the whole interview yet. I think it came out last night. But the funniest part about it that like came out as a clip, I don't know if Fox News clipped this themselves to preview it, but it was Trump like just straight up pathological liar mode, just saying shit that is just so unbelievable on its face. You're like, why? Like there's the funny Trump where it's like he bloviates and just says whatever comes out of his mouth that's like not pathologically lying, that's like funny sometimes. And then there's the other things he says where it's like that's just like a straight up pathological lie. Like almost like the, those things you hear about how Kim Jong un used to say he got like an eighteen like a perfect round of golf, like yeah, hole in yeah, one yeah. every shot. It's like that level of like childlike like Trump said, You know what, Tucker? It was really sad. Uh you know, they were crying when I in the court, they were crying. Some of the, <laughs> some of the people in the courtroom were crying. Some of the, some of the people who brought me in were crying. They said, sorry, yeah, like Mr. President. Yeah. yeah. Like not even just the workers, like court officials, cops, like he was acting as if the people who brought him in for the indictment were like 
crying like some kind of like movie, like he was like Spartacus or something, or they were like bringing in Jesus, you know, in front of Pontius Pilate. That's the way he acted like it went down. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just, it's, it's just hilarious that he's still talking that way. Um, of course, nobody fucking cried. For there, I think 57 minutes. Tell us from your perspective what that was like. They were incredible. When I went to the courthouse, which is also a prison in a sense, uh, they signed me in. And I'll tell you, people were crying. People that work there, professionally work there, that have no problems putting in murderers and they see everybody. It's tough, tough place. And they were crying. They were actually crying. They said, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean... It's truly amazing, this whole indictment thing and people's reactions to it. And I mean, on one hand, you have people acting like it's the most important thing in the world because something's really going to come of it. And we know the truth that nothing will come of it, that it could even help Trump further, which is very depressing, Um, but that he actually is a criminal. He could be charged with a million crimes that could actually take him down, but all these people are guilty of the same shit. I mean, it's the same reason why Nancy Pelosi didn't want to pursue impeachment charges against George Bush, right? Because they're all guilty of war crimes and authorizing torture and the Iraq war vote and really everything that was the crux of why the Bush administration was such a horrific cabal. And what actually did happen on January 6th? I still have a lot of questions about how that went down. There's just, it just still does not make sense why the Capitol building was so insecure that day. And I don't understand it. And, you know, Tucker Carlson apparently even got access to all the body camps on January 6th. And he like was cherry picking clips to release. I want to see all that fucking footage. I want to see all of it raw. And between the January 6th committee that was pretending to show the full scope of what happened at Tucker Carlson, we're getting like the most limited hangout, like not, full narrative ever on this. Oh my God, like, we do such not, a good we point, We do not Robbie. fucking know, dude. Well, it's such a good point about January 6th, and that's why nothing will happen with this January exactly. 6th case. Because we know that there it, it was an inside job, but not in the way that the right wing is portraying. No, not because it wasn't because of FBI Ray agents. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't because of that. It was because the cops stood down. Yeah, or they, like were, they were deliberately like, no, yeah. under-equipped that day. And, and they're no, actually- that's what I mean. Yeah. One of the in the only things that Tucker Carlson released from those clips that he got that I thought was interesting, but he was trying to spin it, you know, and of course in a partisan way, is that one of the cops, a black cop outside the capital, capital that day, who was obviously there for you know like a federal capital police guy, is saying like I don't understand like why why are there so few of us here like this is going to be like a disaster right exactly he, he's saying what we all. You know, we didn't see that before it happened, but like the people who are on the ground there, obviously they knew what was going to happen. I mean, Robbie, we did that really great podcast that I stand by 100%, even though we didn't have all the facts, like right after this happened. And we knew right out of the gate that like, I think it was like one third of the Capitol Police like did not, they were not on duty that day. It was kind of like the NORAD mm -hmm. thing. It was like, why is it? that it wasn't fully staffed. Why were all these police rerouted when this giant event was going to happen, where they had all these text messages, where they were infiltrating all these people that were talking mm-hmm. about 
rioting and potentially storming the Capitol. Why? Wouldn't it and be who really authorized yeah. that? Wouldn't it be really simple to be like Trump authorized that? Right. And so there's something else fishy going on. I mean, you bring up Nancy Pelosi. It's like, I don't trust her for a second. And technically she was like at the, one of the top levels of authority of like how to direct the Capitol police. And there were, there is another, there are other Republicans too, but it's like, you really do have to wonder what happened there. And if there were some Democrats who wanted this to happen, like they are equally as culpable as Trump in the sense that they, they wanted people's lives put in danger like that. So that's, so there's really, it's like they're, they would have done something criminal too, if that's what they wanted to happen. I don't know still what happened, but I know damn well that this limited hangout bullshit narrative that keeps being boosted by the same fucking fed, like suspicious ass motherfucker, Darren J. Beatty, saying that Ray Epps, a single protester January 6th, was a Fed who caused everything to happen. If that's like, if that, if you're buying into that narrative, you're just basically as dumb as someone who would buy into like any mainstream media CNN narrative. Clearly, Question that's more. not what happened. Clearly. Question more, baby. Question more. And also, it's like, oh, Ray Epps is a Fed and the Patriot Front are Feds. You know, you even say right wingers saying the Patriot Front are Feds, those guys who wear like almost the Rorschach style masks. Mm -hmm and walk around the polls it's like no dude the fucking like dozens of proud boys are feds too like you're only it's just funny the way that these people see things so selectively it's like there's a lot of people in your own movement who you fucking suck the dick of every day who are probably feds and yet you're told by those people to look at this guy and blame everything on him for you know say that Gen he caused january 6 where you have enrico terrio the guy who's a proud boy is like who is a fucking fbi informant well and then what's he, funny it's Robbie, so about there's this report that came out and i'm I, I don't know the actual details but i remember reading it um a couple weeks ago that there was cops infiltrating or just actual feds within the proud boys but it wasn't to actually monitor the proud boys which is how they spun it mm -hmm. like the right wing was like this is how much of a threat they are that they're trying to infiltrate us no it was to monitor antifa yeah I, that's I read what that, that's yeah. the report that came out that they were all doing this just because antifa is the real threat to all of these people so it's like don't give me this concocted fake you know partisan narrative no and if you want to talk about feds infiltrating protests or protest groups that do vandalism or even do violence they've infiltrated all of them every single one of them guarantee that i'm not saying that they control them or direct them i'm saying they have people in them they have agents in every single one of them so like i question everything that has been like some giant political flashpoint that where we don't see these people's faces. I mean, even some of the very early Antifa stuff that was like happening in Berkeley, I still wonder if there were feds involved in that. With the amount of like a gift that was to the right wing at the time, I do question a lot of what we've seen. I'm not saying that, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's obviously at face value. It's at, at you see it as it is, but like we know there have been so many incidences of police pretending to be left-wing protesters. Of course. Also pretending to be right-wing protesters and doing things on camera 
like breaking the fucking windows of the Firestone yeah, yeah, yeah. tire store and <laughs> yeah, then slinking amazing. away behind the cop line yeah. while dressed exactly like a cop just wearing a fucking face well, mask. Well, that's I mean, it's so easy on. when you have a decentralized movement that's masked. It's like, yeah, I mean, any Fed can just pop in there and do whatever the hell they want and then use it, use that as a an excuse to crack down. And that's exactly what they do in probably every scenario mm-hmm. where anything is really agitated. Um do you think that Marjorie Taylor Greene could potentially run as Trump's VP? I would be really surprised uh, by that. Really? I think that she is too much like a bull in a sh- china shop. She's he would never run with someone who emulates his program and who could like overshadow him potentially. Well, in some ways, I think he's too egotistical to even worry about being overshadowed. I think it's more about like he wants to be fully in control. He doesn't want to have. It's like Mike Pence, in a way, is like mm-hmm, kind of the mm-hmm. perfect running mm-hmm. mate for him because he's a nobody. Nobody fucking knew who he was. He's a total doormat. He's a fucking errand boy. I mean, he was still promoting Saddam anthrax stuff as late as like 2008, you know, after the case was pretty much already wrapped by the FBI. It seems like, so I can't see someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene. She seems like too much of a, like she's on her own program. Um, so I don't know who I, I, I mean, if I'm, tr- I'm trying to guess who his running mate would be, I would say let's, well, if he's serious about running, which I'm still not absolutely convinced he is, but it would probably be someone like Mike Pence. Cause she is like, yeah, I just feel like she's too much like him. She's, she's, she wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the pathway that he created, um, you know, in the political landscape. Well, what's amazing is that she is being promoted so much. It's kind of like Trump 2.0, even though you have Fox not even airing Trump's rallies in full anymore like they used to. It seems like the corporate media has learned a little bit from heavily promoting Trump and giving him billions in free airtime. But Mm -hmm. they're doing the same thing now with Marjorie Taylor Greene, which is like hilarious because they're just so fascinated by her political branding and her insanity that they just can't help themselves because they're such fucking predictable psychopaths who just care about ads um like les moonvez said you know trump's bad for america but he's good for cbs so this is perfectly exemplified by marjorie taylor green being given like a full 30 minute interview on cbs's 60 minutes which historically has been you know a pretty serious news show that people have feared to be on it because it's so hard hitting, right? This is like how it's branded as. Um, But she basically hijacked the entire interview. It just reminded me of Trump in such an insane way because you have this legacy journalist, Leslie Stahl, you know, in, in the career of journalism for like 50 years, who has no concept on how to wrangle someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Just like people had no idea what to do with Trump and they and he always came out of every interview winning the argument, crushing anyone who questioned him. And even though she's really dumb and like predictable, like these legacy media figures have no idea what to do with this new brand of fascist. They are so used to respectability politics that like they just thought that questioning why she says that Democrats are pedophiles and being like, no, they're not pedophiles like that, that she would like retract it and be like, you're right. You're right, Leslie. But that's not what happened at all. And and these people never learn, Robbie. They never learn. Not only is she following Marjorie Taylor Greene around like one step behind her at her ranch 
while she's doing these workouts, these crazy workout videos like Tulsi Gabbard on steroids. Um, Where she's not doing she, an actual pull up, like she's doing like a weird CrossFit. Like, have you seen the videos where she's like a like butterfly, on like a, yeah, like yeah, a, like a pull up bar, but she's not doing one? It's like, can she do a fucking pull up? Like, no, it's crazy. It, it's crazy. She looks like it, she's it, fit enough to. It's an odd thing to keep putting out. She looks like she's like breaking her back yeah. doing like a butterfly <laughs> stroke pull up. But Leslie Stahl, like, it, it, like introducing her, she's just like she's smart and fearless. That's how they introduce Marjorie Taylor Greene. She like says the moniker is all like a cute like nickname, even though it's just her at the actual like acronym of her actual name. Mm-hmm. She doesn't bring up her QAnon support. She brings up the her tweet or whatever her Facebook post saying the Parkland shooting was a false flag, but Marjorie Taylor Greene's response is just like, oh, like, I never said that. She just denies it. And then she's like, oh, are you going to go back and talk about all the parking tickets and speeding tickets that I've had in my life? And then Leslie Stahl just has no idea how to respond. And it's like, don't you think that you would say, why do you, like, that's really interesting, Marjorie. I have your Facebook post right here. Let's talk about what the implications are. If you really think that Democrats are staging mass shootings, like, let's dig into that. That is a fascinating allegation. I don't, and it's fucking insane. <laughs> I don't understand how, I still don't understand. And I, I mean, this just speaks to 60 Minutes being completely phony, but like, why a reporter in that situation doesn't just be like, why are you lying? Like, why right. are you lying? This is, the, this is the, you said this. Like, is there, if you don't stand by it now, like, explain why. But, like, right. why are you lying about it? It's it's strange. And I don't understand how this interview is structured. But, like, obviously they wanted to spend a significant amount of time with her to put together a whole package. So did they conduct the actual interview part, like, at the very end? And if so, why couldn't they, you know, make her, piss her off? It doesn't make it's it's strange, but again, Abby, it does seem like what we used to see early in the Trump era, where sixty minutes brought on Mike Cernovich, and it kind of oh went the same God. way. Where he, I completely forgot about. You know, that. they How went depressing. after him because they blamed him for popularizing that clip of Hillary Clinton falling down and saying that she had health issues that mm-hmm. could prevent her from, you know, be basically being alive or well enough to be president, and the the interchange between the guy and Mike Cernovich sound very similar to what you're describing, where it was like, they just, there's no real pushback. And at the same time, you have to wonder, is there some kind of reverse psychology op happening here to like actually market these people by making them seem outrageous, like on purpose? Like in the same way the media was like, loving to talk about Richard Spencer and Mike Cernovich and even Posobiec early into the Trump era. They they really made those people famous. You know, it's like they were already- and Fairbanks. Yeah, yeah Fairbanks. Yeah. They were already f- like somewhat, you know, huge on, on Twitter, but to actually glue that together in the public mind and write these big stories about them and even like Baked Alaska, like the media made yep. him. You know, he was a fucking like dorky BuzzFeed reporter who rebranded as a MAGA. For clicks, and then all of a sudden he's like famous because Vice and all these other outlets write like twenty articles about him in the span of like three months. I mean, any any of us, anybody would be extremely grateful who wanted to get out there in the media space to have twenty articles written about them, even if they were like horrendous hit pieces. 
I mean, and and the thing is, they weren't horrendous hit pieces. No, they weren't. These people didn't understand how to really cut to the heart of uh, of how phony these people were. They just ended up amplifying their views and getting them bigger. Exactly, and making them seem like, oh my God, look how bad and offensive these people are. Right. Reverse psychology is a very powerful thing. If a media outlet is right. telling you not to pay attention to something or this is dangerous. A lot of people are going to be attracted to that. It's just very strange. And all strange. the corporate media who we all know have like been lying to us for as long as it's existed, right? To promote all and propagate yeah. all this crazy stuff. So it's like if they're going to come out in unison and be like, don't listen to this crazy person, what do you think people are going to do? Here's a perfect example of what you're talking about, Robbie. The respectability politics thing. The most famous clip that came out of this interview is Leslie Stahl being like, why did you call Democrats pedophiles? And she, and she was like, they're not pedophiles. Like, why did you say that? And things she says that are over the top, like... The Democrats are a party of pedophiles. I would definitely say so. They support grooming children. They are not pedophiles. Why would you say that? Democrats, Democrats support, even Joe Biden, the president himself, supports children being sexualized and having transgender surgeries. Sexualizing children is what pedophiles do to children. Wow. Okay. And then she follows up by saying, okay, but my question really is, can't you fight for what you believe in without all that name calling and personal attacks? So basically, she's just troubled by the pedophile comment and not the actual depiction of gay and transgender people as like predators and whatever. I mean, all she was really offended by was like the name calling and how disrespectful it was, Robbie. And I think that really says it all about the old guard media figures and just liberal establishment. And that's and if we want to talk about why they hate Trump, it's because of his uncouth nature of just being belligerent and not respectable that's all they really care about it's not because he opposed empire yeah it's just because of this yeah i mean i think that that's that's mostly true i mean i think the other part of it that people you know may may be missing sometimes too is that there was a lot of posturing and virtue signaling and like saving face by a lot of like people even like people who ran big corporations or people who sat on the boards of corporations when Trump first appeared. I mean, I don't know if people even remember that Sergey Brin, the, like one of the founders of Google, like appeared at that first anti-Muslim, uh, you know, the Muslim ban protests that were happening at the airports, uh, like right when Trump got into office. And so there, it's like that, there's people who thought, you know, Trump is too much for me who are even just like really generic liberals like he is he is tarnishing the country's reputation and our image and we can't have this it has nothing to do with him being anti-empire anti-war stopping wars because he didn't and he's and he still won't even if he wins it's like his ukraine rhetoric is just he's talking out both sides of his mouth people are like oh my god look at what he said about ukraine recently he's talking about world war three this is like some of the best you know strongest stuff ever and then in the same rally he's talking about how the russian like he's he's responsible for saying the missiles and he's bragging about it it's like do you, are, are you guys just dumb like do you not understand that you're being manipulated because the only i i just i mean we've we talk about this endlessly but like either you're anti-war or you're not 
Like you can't, <laughs> there's no real in between. I don't think you could be, you could say you're anti a certain conflict, but you can't say you're anti-war if you're only anti sending money to Ukraine. That's, it doesn't work that way. Or the whole, I've, I saw a lot of um, commentary that I totally agree with about like someone like Jackson Hinkle, and I hate to even say his name, but someone who's explicitly pro Russian invasion of Ukraine at, you know, being this headliner at this supposed anti-war rally. And he would say, oh, no, he's anti-war. But I, I mean, you should just be honest that you're promoting what you think is a just war. Yeah. But that is different than being anti-war. Well, of course it is. And it's also, I mean, we know that people like him are just completely echoing like some of the most absurd propaganda coming from that side, like the denazification. And that's Mm -hmm. why they had to invade and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, like Russia, if Russia said we had to invade because America is threatening the the stability of the world and trying to like encircle us with NATO, I mean- it still wouldn't be justify an invasion, but at least that would be more honest. I mean, like the right. the idea that it's like denazification is like obviously complete fucking horseshit. I mean, that's it's it's the same thing I knew was going to happen with this, just like what happened in Syria, where instead of talking about how the U.S. is fueling a proxy war there, it became all about jihadists, you know. And it's like, why did that's not necessary? That can't be true. That everybody fighting against jihad or <laughs> Assad was a jihadist. It is true that a lot of that was fueled and directed by CIA proxy war activity. But like, well, and even if it was true, then it kind of like negates your anti-war activism against the Afghanistan occupation because then you can just say the same thing with a broad brush about the Taliban. Exactly. It's like it loops back it, to the actual war on terror framework, right? That like we need right. to like get rid of the jihadists, and it's like okay, so basically that's the anti-war frame you've chosen to land on is like Bush era rhetoric. Like that's really fucked up, dude. It's it's. I mean, bizarre. it shows you how easy people fall into these camps, especially when you have you know Russian media going away, and you have people kind of filling the gaps and just kind of echoing exactly what the Russian state would say, and it is kind of cartoonish. Um, I don't know if you have time to wrap up this episode, Robbie, by just commenting on DeSantis responding to Mike's bombshell torture report. Yeah. I mean, For a couple minutes. Yeah. Let's talk just really about quick. It. I mean, I saw the Piers Morgan interview completely unexpectedly their exchange about the story that Mike originally broke. And it was interesting to see it go from be- being like Mike's story that he broke to basically them, I think the Washington Post ended up interviewing, or did they Nassar, end up interviewing yeah. Nasur? Which was pretty uh, surprising to me that the Washington Post would, I don't know, how, I mean, I'm curious how you feel about all the coverage that didn't credit Mike's original story on this. I mean, so yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. New legal trouble. I just spent more than an hour with the governor. And we covered a wide range of issues from Ukraine. I was a bit surprised, and I think some people were, that you seem to be almost dismissing it no, as a kind of that's not true. A, a kind of local dispute. It's time working at Guantanamo Bay. You authorize the use of force feeding some of the, oh, yeah, that's not the detainees who were on hunger strike. I was a junior officer. I didn't have authority to authorize anything. In the grand scheme of things, I'm happy that the story got out, but it really shows you how people operate, you know? And it's just really gross that Mike broke this incredible story. 
that very few people in even in the alternative media covered it. He submitted it immediately to Democracy Now! and they completely ignored him. Two months later, Democracy Now! interviewed Mansoor for 30 minutes and didn't say anything. They pretended like it was like their exclusive report. They were just like in his first televised interview. Um, but I mean, the only the only big publication that did credit Mike was Harper's, where they just published his full Eyes Left interview with Mansoor in the actual magazine, which I thought was pretty cool. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just happy the story came out, as is he. But it was interesting how many people didn't cover it also, like, that were saying, oh, well, it's just one guy. It's just one guy. It's like, this is a famous Guantanamo prisoner who has a book who is a very credible, respected figure. Like, why would he make this up? And guess what? Mike has corroborated the story with at least one other prisoner that he's coming out with a second report, a follow-up report about, where the guy is basically saying the same thing. But it's just so weird how easily people dismissed it and discredited the story because they were like, it's just one source. It's like, that is a news story. This isn't just some random anonymous person. This is a famous Guantanamo prisoner who is coming out with with a story like this. I think the only people, Abby, who had that reaction are either secret DeSantis stands or they're surrounded by and they're like elders and their peers mm-hmm. are, are DeSantis stands. And I'm assuming you're talking about some libertarians who had that reaction because they're trapped in basically what is a coup on the libertarian party by like neocon dick suckers who actually stand Ron DeSantis. <laughs> and it's horrifying and pathetic and sad to see that happening. But we all, we, I think we saw it coming even as far back as the Tea Party when Ted Cruz and Sarah Palin were hoisted up as like Tea Party figures, like in, even by libertarians. And it's like, wait, wait, wait a second. Like you guys fucked up here, dude. Like what the fuck is wrong with you? So ever, I mean, ever since 2008, it's been a slow motion, complete takeover. You know, the, one of the most respected figures in the anti-war libertarian scene is a regular now on the Fox News Business Network. So what does that tell you about where this is going? It's not, it's not going in a good direction. So No, it's not. And it hasn't been for a long time. And now that LaRouche is resurrected and trying to capitalize and, mm-hmm. you know, push forward this, this new agenda by being like a co-sponsor of the Rage Against the War Machine rally with their huge banner behind the podium where speakers were talking was very strange. Um, but DeSantis, you know, DeSantis responded to the torture stuff. Piers Morgan, as you mentioned, brought it up, but brought it up with a false premise that DeSantis was the one who authorized the force feeding which is not at all what the what Mansoor said. He said that he was there um, and that he basically condoned it. He watched it happen. He was the quote-unquote human rights law guy who could have stopped it and actually said that it was like perfectly in line with human rights law to do it, even though it is torture. So it was just totally a fake representation of it. And then it was easy for DeSantis to just be like, no, like I didn't do that. I didn't have the authority to authorize anything. And then it was just, that was it. And then he just moved on to the next question. And that was like the one shot that someone finally had DeSantis under the spotlight to ask about this. And he just completely fucked up. I mean, it's, you know, Piers Morgan likes to try to do gotchas and he probably, I I actually think that he was trying to get some kind of gotcha on Ron DeSantis and just fucked it up. Like, which is 
it just kind of makes him just look like a pathetic hack, you know, like, I mean, not that that should be a surprise to anyone. Um, but what I did find very interesting is actually the, I don't even, this might've actually been before the Harper's magazine story is that the first, the biggest person I saw run with it originally was of all people, Laura Loomer, who is sits in this world, weird world of she like appeared on the Kanye West, Alex Jones interview to like, basically gas up Kanye and Alex Jones, even though she's a huge Zionist. Um, so it was strange to see her getting in the mix, promoting the Kanye stuff when he was going like full anti-Semite, but she's, I guess she's like part of gateway pundit now or something. And that sphere of the, of the right ran with the torture stuff about Ron DeSantis as, as like a pro Trump thing. Um, which is very fascinating to see because like none of these motherfuckers like actually care about torture. Trump ran on a, we need to bring back torture platform when he ran for president. So it it ideologically makes no sense for them to care that Ron DeSantis was like laughing at people getting like force fed at Gitmo, but they still are running with it. And it was one of the earliest things I saw like in this, that one of the opening salvos of like the Trump Ronda versus Ronda Santis war. Um, so I don't know what your thoughts were on that. That oh was really when I s- interesting to see. <laughs> yeah. When I saw Laura Loomer promoting Mike's report, I was just like, this is, uh, you can't make this up. Like this is beyond the twilight zone for the most virulent anti-Muslim crazy person to be promoting a report, acting as if she cares at all. Mm-hmm. In fact, in any, uh, in any reasonable scenario, she would be praising Ron DeSantis for this, for participating in the torture of Gitmo prisoners. She's probably talked previously about just like how they should just be executed, you know, just like Trump essentially has. Absolutely. Of so course. it is, it's just like, what is going on? Like, I mean, it just gets weirder and weirder, Robbie. It does. And I mean, Trump already pulled out the groomer accusation against uh, DeSantis on, on his truth social website um <laughs> of course i don't know and, and it's also interesting to see that now even trump's kids and candace owens are using the talking point that he is like supported by the bushes and the neocons ron DeSantis. oh yeah the neocons yeah, yeah he's bringing up the neocons we got to stop the neocons robbie yeah even though he hired john bolton and then fired him for not being neocon enough <laughs> yeah yeah and and michael flynn and michael Ledeen, frank yeah. gaffney as part of his uh campaign transition team where the muslim ban suggestion came from um, but those aren't neocons abby we've we have to understand we've narrowed the field we're now the only neocons are bill crystal robert mm-hmm. kagan max mm-hmm. boot and david frum that's it yep. everybody yep. else abby all the democrats are neocons but none of the republicans are and those are the only people you can call neocons anymore, which actually means now that if you go back in time, Cheney's not a neocon. Mm-hmm. Bush is not a neocon. Wolfwood's not a neocon. No, none of the PNAC people except for Bill Crystal and Robert Kagan are neocons according to this new goalpost move narrowing of what a, the neo, a neocon is. Um, absolutely fascinating to see that take place. But here we are. Yeah. And here we are, baby. Yeah. 2023. It's going to be a weird year. Uh, it's just going to keep getting more bizarre as it always does. Robbie, Robbie, especially going back to the beginning of the conversation about the AI um, generated accounts, bots, sock puppets. All of this is just going to be super strange. 
not looking forward to that at all. And it no. just kind of further solidifies why I need to spend less time on social media, more time out in nature, centering my brain. And I recommend everyone doing the same. More updates on Earth's Greatest Enemy. We're making great leeway on the film. Robbie, I know you have to go. We're going to do part two soon, hopefully this week, on everything that's going on in Gaza and Palestine, the Al-Aqsa mosque attack. More about the Twitter files, um, the shooting in Tennessee, the attack on trans people across the country, the Silicon Valley bailout, and much more. So stay tuned to Media Roots Radio. Subscribe on patreon.com slash Radio. Robbie, it was great talking to you again. Hope to talk to you again soon. It was great talking to you too, Abby, and have a good day, everybody listening out there. Bye.